Our scripture for today is found in Luke 8, um, towards the end, starting in verse 40. So that's where we're going to start. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. There was a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. He came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the, crowds are, uh, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to get her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So as I told the children, um, that's something that really hit me this week, the fact that these stories are not stories. They're, they're real-life accounts of people's, people who, whose real lives were changed by Jesus. The more that I spent time in this week's scripture, I was trying to extract some nugget of truth that I could share with you, trying to extract a three-point sermon that I could... Uh, tell you about what it means that Jesus is better from these three points from this scripture. And the more that I tried to do that, the more I felt like I was being unfaithful to these people who had real fears and real heartbreak and who were really changed when they met him. And so this morning... I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to tell you a story. And you can take notes or 
you can just sit there and listen. But I want you to take it in. Become part of it. Think about what it would really feel like to be these people in this situation. What is it? What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? And hopefully, by the end of it, you'll be able to tell me why Jesus is better. So to start, um, this story is what's called a sandwich passage, which means that there's the outer story, and then this inner story snuck in there. So you have the bread and then the meat. So we are going to look first at the outer story, Jairus and his daughter. Then we're going to look at the inner story and then how they fit together. So let's start with Jairus. Jairus is a synagogue leader, which tells us two things about him. One, he is pretty well off. He's not Jeff Bezos rich, but he's doing okay for himself. And his daughter is sick. And so because he is financially secure, he has exhausted every option. He's seen every doctor. He has tried every cure that they can think of. And she's still sick. His daughter is dying, and he has done everything that he is, poss- is, that he is capable of doing. And he is hopeless. But the other thing that him being a synagogue leader tells us about Jairus is that he doesn't like Jesus. This happens in Luke 8. So we still have a while to go until um, the religious leaders hate Jesus enough that they plot his death. We're not there yet, but they already don't like him. He's causing trouble for them. And he is threatening everything that they know, everything about their way of life, their belief system, their livelihood. They don't like him. But Jairus is hopeless. He has nowhere else to turn. And right before this story, right before we hear about Jairus, um, both Luke and Mark tell this story about a man who is demon-possessed. And um, he's been possessed by this demon for so long, and it's so bad that they chained him up in a cemetery outside of town. And um, basically the whole town just kind of left him there to die. They they have just given up hope. They don't want to help him. They can't help him. So they're just, I'm not going to worry about him, and I'm just going to go away. And then Jesus comes and heals him and says, go and tell what God has done for you. In both those Gospels, Luke and Mark, when that story is told, Jesus says, go tell people. So the man goes and tells people. And small towns, spread, word spreads fast, and then it spreads to other towns. And eventually, Jairus hears about what Jesus had done. He hears that he healed this man who had no hope. And so he thinks maybe there's a chance. Maybe this man who I 
am terrified of can save my daughter. And so reluctantly, he goes to Jesus. And he begs him and he says, Jesus, please, please, he falls at his feet, please help my daughter. Please, I'll take you to her. Please come heal her. She doesn't have much time. I need you. And Jesus goes. Jairus was hesitant, but Jesus doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hesitate when we have problems. He's there instantly. And so he gets up and he walks with Jairus to his house. But all of the people in town have also heard about Jesus healing the demon-possessed man. And now their synagogue leader comes and says, Jesus, please come heal my daughter. The whole town is emotionally invested in this healing. Right? When, when one of our pastors has a sick family member, we're emotionally invested in that. We care about our leaders' families. And so the whole town is making this journey to Jairus' house. And it's a lot of people. There are so many people that Jesus is almost crushed. He's having to like push people out of the way and make his way through. And I can just picture Jairus. You know that feeling when you're in a rush to get somewhere and the person that you're with is not rushing? You know, and you're like, okay, here we go. What, can you? Okay, here we go. Let's... Just get that, get out of, come on, let's just go. Right? And so Jairus is, is rushing. He's trying to get there because his daughter needs him. And then Jesus gets stopped. Jesus, why did you stop? We have to go. My daughter needs us. I, I, we have to get there fast. Oh, I don't know how much time she has. Oh, and now he's asking who touched him. Who cares who touched you? Why, do you? why are you asking that? It doesn't matter. Let's go. Great. Now he's talking to this dirty woman on the ground. She'll be here when you get back. Let's just go. Why are you stopping? Why are you doing this? Let's go. And then Jairus sees a friend. A friend that's been at his house with his wife with his daughter and he has a look on his face he has news Jairus I'm really sorry uh, it's, it's too late you just leave the master alone leave the teacher alone because he, he can't do anything anymore she's gone why don't you just come with me? Your wife is waiting. Let's go home. And so Jairus begins to leave. And Jesus stops him and looks him in the eye and says, Don't be afraid. Just believe. She'll be healed. Jairus is panicked. He's running through a thousand thoughts in his mind, right? His daughter has just died. I'm sure that he's thinking about all of the what ifs. What if I had humbled myself sooner and gone to Jesus? What if 
We had walked faster. What if I had told that stupid crowd to get out of the way? What if Jesus had told them to get out of the way? What if he had done a better job? What if, what if I had done more? Did I do enough? Could I have done more? Why did I lose her? And as he is running through all of these thoughts, all of these emotions of losing his only daughter, his only child, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe and she'll be healed. Jairus is panicked, but Jesus is calm. He's calm because that's who he is. He is peace. No matter how panicked we are, Jesus is peace. He's that anchor in our storms. When he says, don't be afraid, just believe. What he's saying is, don't ask what if. Just believe that I am. Don't ask what if. Just believe that I am. And so they go. They go to Jairus' house. They climb the stairs up to her bedroom. There she is laying on the bed. His wife is a mess. But Jesus takes her hand. He holds her hand. And he says, my child, get up. And she does. Not just get up, but she stands up. She's well enough to eat. She hasn't just regained consciousness. She is back. And Jairus' family is whole again. Which brings us to the bleeding woman. Now, in order to understand her story, we have to go to everyone's favorite part of scripture, the Levitical Code regarding uh, the ancient Jewish practices surrounding women's monthly cycles. I know probably you guys read it this morning already, but let's just refresh just in case. So we turn to Leviticus 15. Um, but before we, before we read this, I want to make a little disclaimer. I know that we don't read the um, Levitical law very often. But God's law, the law that God handed down to Moses in its entirety, which is mostly written in the book of Leviticus, but also spread out throughout the other five book, first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, is really beautiful. I know that we don't read it, and there are reasons for that. It can be tedious, and it can be hard to understand, and it can be boring. But when you read it, you get this really beautiful picture of who God is. Because every law reflects his character. Every law is designed to teach us about um, 
who he is and what he wants for his people. There are laws about protecting the oppressed and the weak and the forgotten and the disenfranchised. There are laws about protecting ourselves, our communities, our health, our souls. And through his law, you can see the way that he loves his people. But unfortunately, a lot of the laws in scripture, like the one that we're going to read today, has been twisted by mankind throughout the last several millennia, and even in many countries today, to oppress the very people that it's intended to protect. So today we're going to read a passage, um, a, a law about women that's really easy to interpret as being um, degrading or discriminating towards women, and it's not. It was not intended to do that, and I unfortunately don't have time this morning to explain uh, why, though I would love to talk to you about it, so if you want to hear more, please come see me. I'd love to tell you all about why God, or how God loves to protect women in the Old Testament, but we don't have time to talk, to talk about that this morning, so please just take my word that though this law was used to alienate and discriminate against women for a very long time, that is not in any way God's intention behind laws like this, okay? So with that being said, let's jump into Leviticus 15.25. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has, had, and as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period, and anything else she sits on will be unclean as during her monthly period." Whoever touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean till evening. And then jumping down to verse 31. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so that they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. Now, I know I just said the word period more times than you've probably ever heard in this sanctuary. Oh my goodness, someone's going to go home today and be like, this is why we don't let women preach. Um, <laughs> so that's weird and complicated and confusing. But what you need to know regarding our story today from that passage is that this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years is marked unclean. And really all that that means for her um, well, not all, it's a big, big ordeal, but what that means for her is that she probably has to live outside of town with all the other people that are marked unclean. She can't be around her family, she can't touch anyone, and she can't touch anything that other people touch. So she can't be in her house, she can't hug her loved ones, she may not even be able to see them, and, more, and moreover, um, every time someone who's unclean is walking through town, 
they have to shout unclean so that everyone knows not to touch them. So they're walking through the crowd, and she has to shout, unclean, I'm unclean, don't touch me, I'm unclean. And though she means, in the ceremonial sense, she means that she's unclean to be touched, when you say a phrase like that so many times about yourself, you begin to believe that it's your identity. I know I've done that before where I'll say something joking about myself, but I say it over and over again, and eventually you begin to believe it. And so for the last 12 years, she has been declaring that she is unclean, and she has taken that on as her identity. It has become who she is. She is unclean, unwanted, unloved, unseen, invisible. And so that day, she heard that Jesus was in town. And she saw him passing by. And she thought to herself, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't go in that crowd because I'm going to be touching a lot of people and I shouldn't touch anyone. And I really shouldn't touch Jesus. I'm going to make him unclean. Even if I just touch the edge of his cloak, I'm going to make him unclean. But, but maybe, maybe he can heal me. And so she makes her way through the crowd, trying as hard as she can not to touch anyone, but kind of inevitable. She's trying so hard to be invisible. Please don't let anyone notice me. Please don't let anyone see me. I don't want to explain why I'm here. It's embarrassing enough, but I just, if I can just touch the edge, maybe. And then she does. And she feels it instantly. She knows. She knows that she's been healed. And so she just backs out of there. No one needs to know that I was here. No one needs to know that I touched them, that I made them unclean. I'm healed now, and I can go home. But Jesus feels it. He knows what's happened. And so he says, who touched me? And Peter is like, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone touched you. And Jesus says, no, I know someone touched me. Who touched me? And he keeps asking and he keeps asking until eventually she can't keep quiet any longer. She knows that he knows and he forces her to say that it was her. I, I did. I'm, I'm really sorry. I, you see, I, I, I've been bleeding for about 12 years and I, I just needed, I just needed you to heal me and you did. And see, he forces her to say why she was in the crowd. Why she touched him. And what happened? 
because the last part of her healing was restoring her dignity. And when he forced her to say that, he forced her to declare her new identity. I was unclean, but now I'm healed. Because an encounter with Jesus changes our identity. It changes who we are. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was a sinner, but now I am a saint. I was unloved, unwanted, unseen, invisible, dirty, but now I'm a daughter. That's what he calls her. He calls her daughter, which is not a term that Jesus uses very often in the Gospels. But what he's saying is you were unwanted, but now you're mine. You were all of those things, but now you are a daughter or son of Christ. Because that's what happens when you encounter me. That's what happens when you meet me. I change who you are. So how do these two stories fit together? Well, I don't know if you caught it, but the woman had been bleeding for 12 years. And Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. This miracle had been in the making for 12 years. And if any part of that timing had been different, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, that woman had to suffer for 12 years, but if something had been different, we wouldn't have gotten the beautiful story that we did. Because see, if Jairus had gone to Jesus earlier, then Jesus wouldn't have been passing by at the exact moment for the woman to see him. And if the woman hadn't seen him, she wouldn't have stopped him. And if she didn't stop him, he wouldn't have been late to Jairus' house. And if he had gotten there sooner, the girl would have still been alive. And yeah, he would have healed her, but he wouldn't have raised her from the dead. And one of those miracles is really cool, but the other is mind-blowing. If any step of that timeline had been different, we wouldn't have had the story that we have. God's timing is perfect every time, every step of the way. We don't know anything else about either of these two families. We don't know what Jairus' daughter grows up to be. We don't know if the woman gets to go see her family, if they're still waiting for her even. We don't even know her name. But because their stories are in the Gospels, we know more about who God is. I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know what pain you have suffered. 
what identity you have claimed that's not yours. But I know that your story is not about you. Their story wasn't about them. It doesn't matter what else, what else happened to them because these real people with this real encounter were able to see how their story fit in to the story of the Lord. Your story, I pray that this side of eternity you will get to see the way that your story impacts our knowledge of the creator. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't get to see that. But we know that it's true because we know that that's who he is. Your story is glorifying him if you let it. But you have to be like Jairus. You have to be like the woman who was bleeding and humble yourself and go to him. So how is Jesus better? It's just who he is. He just is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the way that you reveal yourself to us. Sometimes it's through joyous mountaintop experiences and sometimes it's through the pain. But we thank you for our scars. We thank you that they reveal your glory and they tell us who you are. Lord, help us to come to you when we need you. Help us to claim the identity that you've given us, not the ones that we have taken on ourselves or that we've told about ourselves. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.